0: This is ProRata, where we aim to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, yield curve confusion and a startup seeks to take on America's housing crisis. But first, CEOs as America's newest politicians. So in 1997, the Business Roundtable issued a mission statement that said the paramount duty of company management is to its shareholders. Today, though, the group, which is comprised of 188 of the country's top CEOs, came out with a new mission statement. Just 300 words long with the word shareholders not mentioned until word 250. Instead, this one talks about how companies have a commitment to all stakeholders, including customers, suppliers, and employees. It also says companies should foster diversity and inclusion, support local communities, and protect the environment. It's a big shift, which reflects how America's CEOs have, in many ways become the country's newest class of politicians, trying to lead in areas where they see elected leaders abdicating responsibility, or at least efficacy. Now, corporations may or may not be people, but the CEOs are, and they're driven, if not by personal politics, then by an understanding that they need every advantage possible in a very tight labor market, and expressing social solidarity can help them attract the best and brightest. Moreover, they realize that their way of life and way of business is under a very powerful microscope right now. Now. So to be sure, this new mission statement is controversial. Axios' Jim VandeHei writes how many corporate general counsel tried to get their CEOs not to sign on but 181 of the Business Roundtable's 188 members did so anyway. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Fortune Magazine's Alan Murray. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Alan Murray, president and CEO of Fortune, and in full disclosure, my former boss. You write today that as U.S. political leadership becomes more polarized, having companies more consciously focus their power on solving society's biggest problems is a good development. So I can already kind of see the Warren Sanders critique here, which would be these companies are in part the cause of some of society's biggest problems. How do the CEOs seem to respond to that critique?
1: Well, I think they're certainly aware of it. And look, Dan, you know full well they may be the cause of some problems. They're also the solution to an awful lot of problems. People want jobs. People want incomes. People want a growing economy. That comes from the private sector. It it doesn't come from government. So I think there are two ways to look at it. But no question that this development is a result partly of uh, you know partly of the great recession partly of pressure from employees partly of good intentions on the part of some of the CEOs but also partly as a political response to a deteriorating political environment and a sense that they have to do better just to keep the system afloat
0: i wonder and it's impossible i guess to figure this out numerically but you know you talk about the the difference between the old mission statement which was basically you know shareholders above all to this being shareholder value important other things important also Do you have any sense on how these CEOs balance that? Because sometimes those two things come into
1: conflict. No question, they sometimes come into conflict. Look, I think this has been developing for a while. I can tell you that a lot of the CEOs at the Business Roundtable looked at this 1997 statement their predecessors had adopted and said, oh, my God, that's not the way I run my company. What are they talking about? So I think this thing has been building for a decade as CEOs come under pressure from their employees, to some extent from their customers, and to some extent from the political environment to do a better job focusing on maximizing their positive benefits for society. And I I think you're starting to see some results from that. That's why at Fortune, we do the annual change the world list. Look at examples of companies that are really making progress addressing social problems as part of their core business activity.
0: You made a comment in the piece in Fortune that more and more CEOs have been worrying, and the way you put it was, public support for the system in which they've operated is in danger of disappearing. Is that a real clear and present danger that the CEOs feel that, for lack of a better term, American capitalism, as we've known it, it's ebbed and flowed in different ways and changed, but the way we've known it for your career, for my career, is actually in danger of disappearing?
1: Oh, some of them definitely feel that way. I don't know that it's a universal feeling, but I've had in the last three years, any number of private conversations with CEOs who've talked about fear of losing their license to operate. One CEO of a Fortune 100 company said to me, we have about two years to figure this out. And if we don't, we're in trouble. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that all of a sudden capitalism is going to cease to exist? The companies are going to be shut down? No, but Even if you look at the ramp-up of regulation that occurred in the last few years of the Obama administration, in a way, that's a sign of it. You talked about Elizabeth Warren, the kind of the leftward lurch of the Democratic Party. That's a sign of it, too. I mean, the way the operating license gets retracted is not in one simple move, but in gradual moves eroding the foundations of our capitalist system. So I think it's a very real fear.
0: So you think of Warren on the left, and Trump... I don't even want to say on the right, but call it Trumpism, which is obviously not really in line with traditional American capitalism. It's kind of what some of these CEOs are saying is you always hear, you know, who's the centrist candidate? Who's the centrist party? Are the CEOs kind of saying that's us?
1: Yeah. And I think, in fact, that's the case. You know, 2016 was a critical year for this corporate movement because two things happened. One was the Brexit vote in the UK when the entire political and corporate establishment was saying, you must vote yes. <laughs> yeah. And the UK voted no. And then at the same time in the US, for the first time in my lifetime, you had this election where on the one hand you had Donald Trump rejecting globalization that had driven business prosperity since we World War II. And on the other hand, you had Bernie Sanders, a self-proclaimed socialist, almost getting the nomination. And yet a lot of business people say, hey, wait a minute, there's no one in this race who represents my views. And it is interesting, Dan, that on many issues the CEOs are far more, let's say, progressive than the Republican Party. Climate change, equal opportunity, diversity, gay rights issues, you know, human rights issues. You'll see now. Now, the corporate sector actually being way out in front of the Republican Party. But then when you move to the economic issues, they certainly aren't going where Elizabeth Warren and the Green New Deal folks are going. So they have really emerged as kind of the center of the U.S. political spectrum.
0: How much of that is the person and, and, and I don't know how the CEOs all balance this. It's obviously different from company to company. But how much of that is the personal politics of the CEOs, do you think?
1: As you know, because we work together, I spend a lot of time interviewing CEOs. There are some of them who personally feel this and feel it quite passionately. There are others who may be more reactive, but it's pretty hard to ignore. We're in an, in an economy today that has a very tight labor market where talent is the most important differentiator, where companies really have to compete for talent. And this is one of the ways they do it. They know that millennials in particular want to work for companies that they feel are doing good in the world. And so they think it's important that they get their positive stories out there. And hardly anybody big company is immune from that trend. Dan, there's a whole group of companies that used to sort of try and stay out of the public limelight and keep quiet who now want to tell their stories because they think it's important that their employees think they're doing good in the world. Coke Industries is an interesting example of that. Companies like Bechtel that never liked to talk to the press now want to talk because they need to get their story out because they want employees to come to work for them. I think it's been pretty hard for people to resist this trend.
0: 100. 180- 81 CEOs signed this uh, revised or this new mission statement for the business roundtable. But there were some notable folks who didn't sign. I guess eight companies that didn't sign, and it's not sector specific. You have financials like Blackstone, industrials like Alcoa, healthcare like Kaiser Permanente, insurance like State Farm any sense on why those companies didn't sign? Because they are by far in the minority here.
1: I wouldn't want to speak on their behalf. I think some of those are companies that are facing significant shareholder pressure. If you really have a shareholder movement organized against you, I suspect it's not a great idea to sign a business roundtable statement that say shareholders don't matter as much as they used to. So I think that's part of it. I couldn't tell you why a company like Kaiser Permanente didn't sign, because in terms of the principles reflected in the statement, I know they operate by those principles, So, but I just haven't done the reporting to have specific answers for you.
0: Alan Murray, CEO and president of Fortune, the latest issue is out on newsstands, which are things that still exist. You should pick it up. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is last week's brief yield curve inversion, which helped cause a massive stock market sell-off because yield curve inversions have preceded recessions for the past 50 years. So yesterday, White House Economic Advisor Peter Navarro said this to CNN's Jake Tapper.
1: So let's clear up this uh, inverted yield curve thing. I didn't write the book on it, but I've written several books about the yield curve as a leading indicator. Technically, we did not have a yield curve inversion. An inverted yield curve requires a big spread between the short and the long end. Navarro is wrong, technically and otherwise.
0: The yield curve did invert briefly last week in that yields on 10-year Treasury notes fell below the yields on two-year Treasury notes. And that curve has since straightened back out, but Navarro seems to be arguing that because it didn't invert very much, then it didn't invert at all. That's not how math works. For example, I can't say that nine isn't greater than seven because you can round both of them to 10. And finally, a company called Blockable raised $23 million in venture capital funding today. And while it wasn't the day's largest funding round, it's certainly reflective of one of America's largest problems, namely its escalating housing costs. So Seattle-based Blockable manufactures multi-story modular homes and argues that the entire housing process, from design to manufacturing to construction, is in the CEO's words, fundamentally broken and believes its streamlined process can help fix it. The reason it matters is that for all we hear about America's blockbuster economy and low unemployment rate, a lot of Americans haven't felt it because of spiraling housing costs, affordable and otherwise, particularly as more and more job opportunities move into cities. Blockable may or may not be the solution it wants to be, it's just too early to know, but it is at least one of those startups trying to solve a real societal problem, not just creating another mobile phone distraction. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national soft serve ice cream day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.